How are you doing? And I ask you that question not just to break the ice with this episode of the Insert Clever and Witty Name Here podcast, but genuinely asking you, how are you doing? With the pressures from work and the pressures from home and COVID-19 and COVID-19 restrictions and mask mandates and vaccine requirements in some cases and vaccination card requirements in others, it's, um, it's a troubling world in which we live. And I bring that up for a couple of reasons. Let me back up just a little bit. One thing I have tried to do with these podcasts since day one is pull from my radio experience, uh, specifically the time that I have to spend with you every day on my 97.5, and I hope that we do get to spend some time together. But I have been trained since getting into radio in late 1988, yes, it has been that long, to be consistent, especially in doing morning shows. You want to have what are considered benchmarks, something that anyone listening knows they're going to hear every single morning at a very specific time. So I've kind of given you those benchmarks, if you will, with our time together here once a week with these podcasts. For one, I try to keep them right around 45 minutes, never going over 46 because I know there are other podcasts out there that you love listening to. You've got life to live. So you know every single time you want to listen to whatever it is happens to be on my mind, it's going to be 45 minutes, no more. I'm going to try to stay true to form with that portion today. But you know, and having listened to some previous podcasts of mine, I also will incorporate in giving you that 45 minutes of stuff, things that either I have talked about on the air on my 97.5 or things that I'm going to be talking about sometime this week, a little preview, if you will, and then spending the last 15, maybe 20 minutes or so talking about something I probably won't get into in that find a detail on the year, but maybe something I'll bring up in passing. I'm going to blow some of that stuff out of the water with this particular podcast because of that question that I started things off with. How are you doing? Let me say something to start this off that I will obviously clarify as we go on with our time together. I am a suicide survivor. This is going to be a harder podcast than I thought. Before I get to that, let me let you know where this is all coming from. A week or so ago, maybe a month or so ago, now that I think about it, Noah Whitaker, who works at Tulare County Health and Human Services Agency in their mental health division, got in touch with me and asked me if I would be interested in being a part of his presentation for the National Loss Team Conference with loss uh, standing for, as I'm looking it up online as we speak, as I want to make sure I get this right, Local Outreach to Suicide Survivors. Um, and I said, absolutely. Before I even asked the question, why <laughs> are you turning to me with this? And... What are you hoping to extract from me over the course of the presentation, which ran about 50 minutes or so? And apparently it was all wrapped around getting the media involved in the message. And it's something that we do with all of our stations with Momentum Broadcasting. We're one of a few select groups of radio stations that 
are still in Tulare County. Most stations at this point, they may have been in Tulare County at some point, but most of them are now in Fresno. And it is the Tulare County Health and Human Services Agency Mental Health Division that we're talking about here. So I don't know if having stations from Fresno County involved, although you can hear them in Tulare County, obviously. So Noah reached out to me and asked me if I would like to be involved in the conference. And I wasn't exactly sure where that was going to go. So I prepared myself for wherever it happened to be. It's kind of like what I do with my morning show every morning, which I hope you you listen to, and I would appreciate it if you did on my 97.5. I, I try to come in with what I consider a skeleton. Skeleton meaning the, the, the bones of what's going to happen, where the benchmarks are going to be, approximately what I'm going to be talking about. And then as the show develops with phone calls and other things happening during the day, you put some meat on the bones, before you know it, you've got an entire show. That's kind of my approach to things. I like doing it that way as well because it lets me stay in the moment and to be able to adjust to things as they're happening. Uh, sometimes if you over-prepare, you get married to that particular way of wanting to do things, and then when the morning throws you a curveball, you don't want to differ from your game plan. This way, my game plan is a lot more flexible. But with this conference, I wanted to make sure I did my homework because this was something that was not in my wheelhouse. I hadn't done one of these before, specifically on Zoom as well, with who knows how many people involved in the conference as well. So the main speaker gave her portion of the presentation and then threw it to Noah, and Noah handled quite a bit of it, and then started throwing questions my way. But again, I was prepared for a host of different things. I was prepared to talk about my personal experiences. I was prepared to talk about my wife's experience with the fact that her best friend, shortly after we got married and moved to Peoria, committed suicide. So with my previous attempts and with my wife's experience, I felt in a unique position to address everyone. I could quickly tell, though, in the conference that it wasn't really going in that direction. So I didn't hijack it and take it in that direction. I listened very carefully to the questions that Noah asked me, and I tried to stay on point with those. I did mention that I am a suicide survivor. I did mention that my wife lost a best friend to suicide. But then I also talked about why it's important to reach out to media uh, in involving them in campaigns and things of that nature that radio stations are obligated to do things in the public interest for the public good and obviously being involved in outreach for suicide and, and other things that is very important uh, for the community. But I was prepared to go down a very darker um, road. And in thinking about that, realizing that I had today's podcast to look forward to, and I always do look forward to them, I wanted to share with you what brought me to that place on more than one occasion so that maybe if there's someone in your life that is showing the same signs, you can be there for them. What surprised me in the research that was presented and I wanted to refute it. Every part of my being said, this can't possibly be true. But 
talking about people who have done much more research on this than I have. This was just my gut feeling that at least the way things stand in 2020 and so far reflective this year in 2021, that suicides run the gambit as far as age ranges are concerned. In fact, there are many times in many parts of the country, many years where there are more suicides with those that are 65 plus than there are those in their teens and early 20s. My thinking had always been, it's got to be high schoolers. I mean, that's the cliche when there are epidemics of suicides taking place for a host of different reasons. You have kids going from grade school to high school, which is traumatic in and of itself because you have your core niche of friends and now suddenly you're going to a much larger school with other kids that you may or may not get along with or get along with. And then you have hormones kicking in and not knowing how to deal with that chemically. And it can be disastrous, which it was in my case. My first suicide attempt in high school, because there were two in high school. Um, I can say now, looking back at it, um, came out of unhealthy relationships I was in in high school. For whatever reason, I um, <laughs> was the poster child of codependency in high school. I have a very loving mother. And a great dad who I love dearly and respect dearly. And, um, you know, we can psychoanalyze that relationship, uh, both of them, honestly, because there must be something flawed with it, I, I feel, without me realizing it, that I still felt the want to have a, a romantic relationship in high school with people because... I don't know, I'll, I'll lay down on the couch for a second and say there must have been something I wasn't getting from home. Nothing I was asking for, nothing that was obvious, but something was missing in that I was trying to find this love of someone else because I probably didn't love myself very much. And I can look back at it now and say that. And the first time, I attempted suicide. Um, I reached out to some friends of mine uh, in a very haphazard way. Um, in, in my mind, I was crying for help. I was screaming, but I'm sure it didn't come across that way. It was just a phone call out of the blue. Um, expressing things to someone of my same age who was probably just as awkward and confused about things as well and had their own life issues going on and didn't really pay me no never mind, which I don't blame them for that at all. So after those cries for help, which probably sounded more like whispers, I um, remember cassette tapes? <laughs> I took a um, the the plastic part of the cassette tape where the cassette goes in. I don't even know what the case. Um, I had one in my hand as I was listening to 
I want to say it was Genesis Three Sides Live. And there's a the last song on that uh, cassette is called Open Door. And uh, if you get a chance, listen to the song. It's uh, <laughs> it's something that I've thought, morbid, uh, morbidly speaking, that I would like to have played at my funeral, at my wake, whatever. Um, but I was listening to that song, and I had that cassette case in my hand, and feeling the tears welling up in my eyes, I, I, I broke the case with my hands. And I looked at some of the pieces and felt how sharp they were, and I swallowed uh, a handful of them. Nothing ever happened, uh, that I'm aware of, at least, with that attempt. Um, never told anybody about it. Um, and kind of convinced myself that that was not a real attempt, that that was just a cry for help. And the next day was better, and then the days after that were better. And then a few years later, actually, I take it back. I think it was the next year. So now I think a few years later, uh, different relationship, different person. Um, but still having that codependency trait within myself um, was involved in um, <laughs> a very unhealthy relationship. Uh, looking back at it now, my senior year. Um, unhealthy because of just typical high school dynamics. Um, we moved to California halfway through my high school experience which I believe I had mentioned previously, which I would not recommend to any parent. Please don't do that to your children. It's one thing to do it within the same city city, or even the same state. When you go from rural Illinois to rural California, that's a bit of a culture shock. So it took me a year or so to know anyone at our school. In fact, the first relationship that I had with my first attempt, it was someone that I dated my junior year, my first year, but only because she actually went to a different school and she was a mutual friend that I had known through school. School that I went to was also a bit of a mess in that it was an all-boys school with an all-girls school about a block and a half away. So meeting anyone from that school was a near impossibility, yet somehow I must have because my senior year I dated, again, someone from that school. And um, I may spend a whole other podcast at some point talking about that particular relationship, but um, I found myself in another bad place. Um, not based on anything that she did as far as I know, but friends of hers uh, not liking the fact that I was involved with a friend of theirs and things that were done and said and making that time of my life in high school living hell. And um, again, I did the same thing I had done previously. I, I did my screams for help that sounded like whispers to friends, family, in some cases as well with my mom and dad. 
and took their um, lack of concern personally and just piled that on all the more reason for me to go ahead and do this. So it was um, a time of year in the Salinas Valley where allergies were just kicking up and I get really bad allergies anyway. So I will on occasion take Benadryl. Very careful to take just two if I know I am not going to be needed for anything the next day because I will be (laughs) dead to the world, pardon the pun, um, for eight to ten hours after taking two. Uh, If I take one during the week, I'm usually okay. Well, I read the directions and I saw may cause drowsiness, and I knew that anyway. So I took whatever what was left in the bottle. Um, and it wasn't until uh, maybe three quarters of the way through the night, and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep, but I had I kept on hearing this this the weirdest sensation of a fly buzzing in my ear, laying eggs and feeling like the larva crawling in my ears. And I found out after the fact in reading the bottle that overdosing on Benadryl may cause the exact opposite effect and cause you not to be able to sleep. I also did some additional research after the fact and that it can cause some mild hallucinations as well, which in my case, maybe there was a fly that was buzzing in my ear, but feeling that there were eggs and then larvae, probably, again, an act of my imagination. Again, as far as I know, no lasting effects from that. Then there was another time, and all three of these involving relationships that um, I... I looked at at the time as my life. It, I, I put so much of my heart and soul and energy into that other person that I lost me. And that happened again with this other relationship that I had after going to San Francisco State, dropping out before I got my degree to take a job at a radio station in San Francisco because I thought that's what I always wanted to do anyway, and it's heck, it's what I'm doing now. It's what's providing for my family. So I must have made some right choices along the way. On this particular occasion, again, it was a relationship that had just ended, one that I was overly codependent on again because I had not addressed the previous issues that I had with the last two relationships. And um, I was in the studio when the relationship ended. I think she called me on the request line from what I recall. It was an overnight shift. I was basically babysitting the radio station, making sure that things ran the way they were supposed to. Um, And we were talking, and the relationship ended. So I, um, I reached out to a friend of mine. And this time... It's someone that did listen to what I was saying and heard everything I had to say, but also realized they weren't in a position to help, but figured they know who would be my folks. So my folks called me, and uh, 
they asked me if I would drive down to Salinas and spend some time with them. And <laughs> this may have been you know, a moment of clarity that saved my life. But I told them, I don't think in my present state of mind that being behind the wheel is the best thing in the world for me. I forget what the statistics are, but I've seen them several times of how many quote-unquote accidents take place. And it's typically with men where um, car wraps around itself around a tree and there's no sign of any braking or going over a cliff or something of that nature. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic either. I... I felt as though if I had gotten up behind the wheel and had to drive two-plus hours from San Francisco to Salinas, which is where my parents still lived at the time, I probably wouldn't have made it there. And so they came and drove me home. And I say home. That wasn't my home. It was their home. Um, and talked to someone and was put on something or other to take the edge off. Um, and I'm sure medications have improved since then, but it, that's basically all it did. Um, I say all it did. It's where I needed to be at that moment. Uh, it took, it, it leveled off the highs as well as the lows. So my lows weren't quite as bad, but my highs weren't quite as great either. And I wouldn't consider myself bipolar um, but you know, at the same time, I do, I've, I've jumped out of an airplane before. God willing, I will do it again. I have gone, uh, mountain climbing, uh, in areas where there was nobody. And if I would have sprained an ankle and been stuck there, I would probably still be there to this day. So I, I'm a bit of a thrill seeker within certain limits. Um, and that kind of took all the edge off of everything. Again, the highs and the lows. Um, and like I'm saying, I'm, I'm sure that medications have improved since you know, that time frame. Because we're, we're talking years ago. This was shortly after what would have been my graduation from San Francisco State University. I tell you all these things because of something we've talked about in a previous episode where I think it's important to let people know when you're not okay. Because if all you ever do is, I think the expression that I use, never let them see you sweat, and I know I ask this question, how are they going to know if you need a glass of water? I would much rather, and I still feel this way, although I don't always buy into my own line of thinking, I would much rather be disappointed in people every once in a while than not give them a chance. Um, and I've been in that situation many times. And looking back at it, there are things I would change 
about my approach to those situations and those people. But the times that I invited them in and, and tried tearing down some walls and creating stronger bonds with people only to be told, no, nope, I have enough friends. Or, nope, I'm good. Or whatever it happens to be. Um, I'm still glad I put myself out there. As opposed to always having that brick wall up and having someone try to chop it down. Don't get me wrong. I'm not someone who wears my heart on my sleeve. Not to say that that's a bad thing. I keep a lot of things close to the vest. But with people I consider good friends. Uh, I, I try to reveal maybe more than they want to hear <laughs> uh, or they're expecting to hear because when I hear a, a, what I hear, what seems to be a genuine, how are you doing? Really? Are, are you, how much time do you have? Are you sure you want to go there or do you just want to ask me, how are you doing? It's, it's the whole difference of how are you doing or how you doing? Hey, how you doing? If you hear a hey, how you doing, then you know what someone's really saying is just say good or give me the thumbs up and keep on walking. That, that's all I have time for. I need to hear that things are good for you and go. That's your line. But when you hear a how are you doing, as I started off the podcast this time around with, that's a whole nother animal. That is asking someone, hey, I care about you, and I'm dedicating some time to you right now. So seriously, how are you doing? Um, that's important. It's important to, to look for those things. Now, you know, I have a 12-year-old son, and, you know, I have a 9-year-old daughter. And my son is changing all the time. He's already taller than my wife. Um, and there are times I, I can tell with him that he is he's utterly frustrated with whatever it happens to be. And if I don't sense it, my wife is very good at sensing that as well. So we will spend time with him in his room talking about whatever it is that is on his mind. I, again, I, I don't know, I can't recall how much I involved my parents in, into my mind when I was in high school, <coughs> when I had my first two suicide attempts. Um, I'm sure, as I said previously, that I, I screamed for help. For them, it was a whisper that went unnoticed. I don't want to make that same mistake with my son, or with anyone else for that matter. I'm not, I'm not one to um, put those types of emotions only on family. Family is just who God decided to give you similar DNA with. Friends are the family you choose. And you can decide to be friends with someone for a lifetime or for a season or just a few moments. 
or sometimes just for uh, a flight across country. Um, what is it in the movie Fight Club? Edward Norton's character referred to them as single-serving friends. Uh, and sometimes you need those. And the nice thing with those types of friends are someone that you sit next to on a bus or you share a cab with or that you're sitting next to on an airplane is chances are you'll never see that person ever again. So why be embarrassed of what you decide to share? Let it all out. <laughs> and if you happen to see them again at some point and they run screaming, then you can think, oh, well, maybe I shared a little bit too much. But I don't ever want to feel that way. Um, that I, I didn't share enough. Um, ultimately, and I've heard some parents refute this, and they can have their own opinions on it, saying, kids come first, kids come first, your kids come first, absolutely, I disagree. You have to come first. You absolutely, positively have to... All right, let me back up. Being as spiritual as I am, God has to come first and foremost. Number one, full stop, end of sentence. God has to come first. Shortly thereafter, however you want to look at that spectrum, needs to be you. You have to come second. Because if you don't take care of you, you're not going to be there to take care of son, daughter, wife, husband, whatever it happens to be, your family dynamic. Um, or maybe you're in a situation where you're caring for your folks. How can you possibly take care of them if you need care and they're not in a position to give it to you for whatever reason? Say again, a situation where you're taking care of your folks. You need to take that time for you and make sure that you are healthy mentally. Um, otherwise, you'll end up in a situation where I was on three occasions where um, the emotional rug got pulled from underneath me and I fell on my face and didn't see any way out. And um, I love my dad. I do. But what does not help in situations, and he I'll never forget he said it, uh, not to me because I don't know that I've ever made him aware of my attempts. Um, and I, I can, I can hear him saying it if he ever gets wind of this particular podcast, which he may, um, you know, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Uh, don't please, please. If you're ever in a situation where someone reaches out to you and you can tell they are in, in, desperate straits, if you don't know what to say, just ask them to call the suicide prevention hotline, which I will make sure I tag onto this podcast. I don't have it memorized. I probably should, but I will make sure it is a part of the description for this podcast. And don't, don't, please don't tell them that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem because in the moment you don't care. At least I didn't. If someone would have told that to me in any one of those three moments, I would have probably just said, okay, yeah, 
you're right. Well, thanks, thanks for the pep talk, and I got to go click, and I would have felt worse at that point because I had reached out to someone, and in saying that, it tells me they're not really in tune with what I'm feeling. That's not a moment you want to hear a cliche. It's not a moment you want to hear something that you had heard countless times on any number of TV shows. Um, you want someone to listen in that moment, whether it is just a cry for help or if it's the real deal. And you know, I, I don't even like that expression. It was just a cry for help. Okay, why the just? A cry for help is still a cry for help. Um, you know, I like thinking in analogies, so I do quite often. If someone cries for water, although they're not immediately going to die of dehydration. But, man, I'm thirsty. Give me some water. It's still a, a cry for water. Why not give them some water? Because if you ignore that cry because, well, they, they really don't need it yet. They're just a little parched. At what point does parched become dehydration? So... If it is a cry for help, it is not just a cry for help. So uh, I know not everyone is, is wired for those situations. I get that. Not everyone can connect as easily as they can with others. Again, I love my dad, but we, we don't have that type of father-son relationship. I don't know... It stereotypically, I would say that most fathers don't have that deep emotional connection with their sons. It's a, it's more of a let's play catch, let's go to the ball game, let's connect on that level. In fact, my dad actually told me once a few years ago, and it was one, of, it was one of the most emotional things I think he's ever said to me. You know, we had went, we had gone a while without talking about sports. And my dad is, <laughs> again, I love my dad, but he is a pessimist's pessimist. The analogy that I always use for my dad is, you know, some people think of the glass as either half full or half empty. My dad is the one that looks at the glass and says, oh, man, look at that. I mean, there's, there's, it's dirty. I mean, there's lipstick on the top, and I think there's a crack in this side, and it's leaking, and... Matt, where did you get? Is that tap water in there anyway, or is that bottled water? There's no way that's that's bottled water, and, and I bet it's even room temperature. I would. That's my dad. <laughs> so I, I've told my dad on several occasions. I don't think he's happy unless he's complaining about something, and and there are times I get frustrated with that, and I, I just tell him. I don't want to talk about sports. I don't want to talk about it. We're, we're both diehard Chicago everything fans. So there have been many stretches where the Cubs have been bad, the Blackhawks have been bad, the Bulls have been bad. Uh, who else we got? The Bears, the Sox, the whole deal. The, the, everything that it comes to sports in the city of Chicago just reeks to high heaven. And my dad wants to complain about all of it. And I, I just I, I get to a point where, again, because I'm more of an optimistic type person, I don't want that to start rubbing off on me. So I'll tell him, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And there was one time he said that he, and I'm paraphrasing, but that he he loves talking about sports with me 
because that's how we connect. Um, and then the past four years or so, we've connected on politics as well. And we've talked about those political issues um, of him questioning this and questioning that. And I'll either have answers or find answers or we'll just hash things out, just the two of us, of, with how he feels politically, how I feel politically. Um, and then I know it'll always have the ebb and flow with sports as well. But we don't have the type of relationship where you can really get into, hey, how are you doing? No, seriously, I, I want to know. I try to have that more and more with my son and with my daughter so that we can be that first line of defense in case they ever start going down that dark road that I went down. So what can you look to? What can you look for in signs? Because as I said, I, I thought I was screaming for help when I'm sure it was just a whisper as far as anyone else was concerned. Um, I'm guessing if a friend of yours is truly a friend of yours, you know them well enough to know what their... Um, what type of friendship you have. When they'll call, what they like to talk about with you. If, if, if you ever get a call from a friend of yours asking about, talking about, wanting to have a discussion about things that aren't normal, that should be a red flag. Immediately should tell you, hey, if you are in a position to, to block off some time in that moment for them, block off the time and, and have that conversation with them and, and truly not only listen to what they're saying, but listen to everything that they're conveying without actually saying it, if that makes any sense. There is so much that we say in what we don't want to talk about, in inflection, in a host of different things. If you get to have that conversation with someone face-to-face, -face, their body language, uh, that sometimes says more than what someone's actually conveying with you with what they're saying. So look for those signs. And if you are in a position, again, where you're not sure what to do or what to say or how to be there for them in that moment, um, if you know of another mutual friend of yours that is, call them immediately and have them reach out to them. Um, if it, I was going to say if it seems appropriate. Whether it seems appropriate or not, um, give them the suicide prevention hotline number. And there are local numbers here in Tulare County as well that you can have them call. Um, there have been many times, I mentioned my three suicide attempts. Well, two attempts and one time where I, I, I felt I was there and thank goodness talked to someone who talked to my folks who got me the help and treatment that I needed in that moment. So two actual physical attempts. Um, and I forget where I was going with that. <laughs> My COVID brain every once in a while will sneak in. Um, but again, I'll leave that, that number 
Um, but yeah, that's what I was going to say. That there have been other occasions in my life where I, I, I know that I was about to lose it. And I, uh, at that point, having had the experience that I had previously with my cries for help going unheard, I, I made sure. There was, <laughs> there was one time, there was a, a priest that I felt very comfortable talking with. This was a time when I was going to that school I mentioned in the Salinas Valley. And at the time, he was um, a priest at uh, a parish a little bit further down the road. So I knew he was there. I wasn't sure which building he was actually staying in uh, because all the priests stay, I forget what the term is, the rectory, I believe it's called. Um, so I, <laughs> I can laugh about this now. I hopped a fence. I got somehow into the school's gymnasium. I mean, the door was unlocked. I just opened the door. I didn't break anything to get in. I just pulled the handle and it opened. And the alarm went off. <laughs> and at that moment, I didn't care. I, I, I knew I needed help. So I, I ran through the gymnasium looking for another way to get into the main part of the building. Couldn't find it. Walked out of the building. And then that priest came out. So I must have had the right building or he was in a building nearby. And he saw me. And he said, Michael, are you, are, are you okay? The, the alarm's going off. I said, yes, that, that, that was me. I, I, I need to talk to you. And he called the alarm company, and the alarm company called the police and settled the whole thing, and then we talked. Um, if you are in a position where you feel that low, that down, don't whisper. For the love of God, don't whisper. Um, friends do care about you. Um, I, <laughs> if I had been successful years ago, I never would have met my wife. I wouldn't have our son. We wouldn't have our daughter. There are so many things I would have missed out on. But in that moment, I get, I didn't care. I didn't see that picture. All I knew was that I was hurting. And I wanted the hurt to go away. If you find yourself in that moment, please know that is one option for the hurt to go away. But there are so many other much better options to choose. Screaming for help is what you need to do. Make sure somebody knows. And you will, trust me, trust me, please trust me, know that you will feel so much better having called out for help and gotten it in that moment when you needed it most. And again, if you are in that position where someone is whispering and something just seems the slightest bit off, know that they're screaming. Know that they are so far out of their comfort zone in that moment and they're scared to death of what you may be thinking about them, that they're letting you in 
to know how vulnerable they are and how weak they are in that moment. Some of us hate being in that position, so we hide it. We mask it. We cover it up as best we can. But if you just look to the cracks, you can see what's about to blow. And again, I understand if it isn't in your makeup to be the one that's a part of the solution in that moment. Please try to help them find someone that can be that ear they need to talk to. I'm so grateful of when I reached out to that priest friend of mine at the time and we talked things out and just having him listen and at the end throwing his arms around me and letting me know that he would pray for me. And that's all I needed in that moment. There are other times I've needed more and thank God I have gotten more when I've needed it. Much heavier <laughs> this week than in past weeks, but it's a conversation that I wanted to have with you. And I will leave that 800 number on the information for this podcast. Have a great week and take care of each other.